This podcast is brought to you by Learn Prime. Start your journey to becoming a great developer at learn.thoughtbot.com. I need to warm up my vocal cords a little bit. Open pit barbecue sauce. <laughs> Perfect. <sighs> All right, we're good. <laughs> Hey everybody, this is Gordon in Boston. And this is Mark in San Francisco. And this is Build Phase. We actually have our first guest on the podcast. We're joined by Matt Thompson, who's the mobile lead at Heroku. Uh, he's also probably best known for being the creator and maintainer of AF Networking, along with essentially half of the other open source projects in Objective-C on GitHub, Helios <laughs> and Nomad, Postgres, uh, and then writes for and runs NS Hipster, which is uh, we've talked about a few times and is an awesome resource for developers at all levels, I think. Uh, so how's it going, Matt? Hey, not too bad. Thanks so much for uh, having me on the program. Yeah, our pleasure. Yeah. How was everything over there in Boston? Weather going all right? Start of fall? Yeah. The leaves are changing? Yeah, it's it's actually been super hot. Ooh. Really weird. It was snowing this time, like a couple years ago. Yeah, don't I know it? I was a uh, Pittsburgh native, so that you know, that whole thing of uh, seasons not acting, you know, not behaving themselves, and uh, just generally being schizophrenic. Definitely something I miss. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> so, um, what exactly is a mobile lead at Heroku? Do that is a very good question. That's something that I've been uh, sort of. Figuring out myself over the last two years, I joined uh, Heroku at the beginning of uh, 2012, uh, so coming up on my, uh, my third year at Heroku. Uh, and being a mobile lead at, at, at Heroku is interesting, right? So Heroku, of course, is the easiest way to get your app uh, up and running on the internet. Uh, it allows you to scale uh, that app uh, effortlessly as, as, as you hit traffic, and, and it gives you a really agile deployment uh, method. Of course, none of that has to do with mobile, uh, because you know, you're running mobile apps on your phone. However... Mobile apps increasingly are, are cloud apps. They're connecting to these uh, backend services that provide JSON APIs, for instance. Uh, so increasingly, your phone is, is more and more useless uh, if you don't have the internet. So uh, mobile applications uh, can use services like Heroku to, to really uh, drive their applications. So uh, in what I do day to day, it's trying to figure out how best to allow uh, people to develop great mobile apps built on Heroku. And a lot of that has to do with open source development. A lot of that has to do with talking to business partners uh, and add-on providers to to give them you know, the best value, to give developers the best value on Heroku, uh, and just you know document the process too. So it's it's a little bit of uh, developer evangelism, uh, open source work, uh, some business, uh, and and documentation. So it's, it's really a lot of hats to wear, uh, yeah. but it's it's a really interesting job, and I've I've, I've really enjoyed it. That's cool. Was, was there someone doing that at Heroku before you got there? or? Oh, no, no, no. I was uh, hired specifically for that. So uh, when I uh, came down to interview, that was uh, the end of 2011, uh, they were specifically looking for somebody to uh, kind of take this whole mobile thing, which was, you know, back then it was still uh, emerging. Right now at this point, it's almost old news. It's become a cliche that mobile's the new thing. But, you know, two years ago, that was still... Uh, you know, sort of a, a nuance. There, there's still nuance to be discovered, and, and they brought me on to kind of flesh that out. 
I, of course, applied. I, I wanted to make the, the Heroku app. I, I, I was, was uh, you know, interested in, in, and delighted by Heroku's aesthetic and thought there could be a really good experience made on that. Uh, but as I joined uh, and, and as I spent time there, I, I realized that there's a lot more impact to be had uh, in creating great resources uh, to enable mobile developers. So, uh, you know, my work at Heroku hasn't been making apps per se, but helping other people make apps. I feel like most of like Helios and Nomad, how, those are largely Ruby, right? And then so is, or is Helios mostly Ruby on the back end? Yeah, it's all, all written in Ruby. Okay, so I guess you do, if networking that Objective-C, how much work do you do in Postgres still? Uh, Postgres.app, that is. Uh, Postgres.app was, uh, for anybody that's not as familiar, uh, it's the easiest way to get up and running uh, with PostgreSQL, the uh, uh, the best free database out there. It's uh, a relational database, uh, but it also, uh, with recent updates, has a lot of great NoSQL-like features, uh, such as HStore, which allows you to do arbitrary key value stores in a column uh, in a native JSON type, as, as, far as, and, and as well as uh, a number of features, uh, really amazing things that you only get out of like a 20... 20-year project like Postgres. So it's, it's a great project, uh, but it was really, really hard to install. So uh, Postgres.app, is, it's a simple thing. You download it, uh, you double-click it uh, on the Mac, you open it up, and all of a sudden you have Postgres running. So that's, that's a project that I started uh, right around the time where I joined Heroku uh, to solve that problem. And uh, since then, uh, it's been transitioned off to a couple other maintainers and contributors. But, uh, so I'm not working on that as actively right now. Uh, but certainly any project that I create, uh, I'm using Postgres uh, as the database because that's just the best thing out there. So the other the other um, kind of database-related thing that you've done uh, is induction. Are you still working on that at all, or is that kind of... Induction's in an interesting place right now. Um, Mac development, if you haven't done much of that, is uh, a quite a different world from iOS. It's, uh, it's challenging in that it doesn't work a lot of the time, uh, at least as you would expect. Uh, it's, a, it's a very old uh, set of APIs, unlike UIKit, which is sort of, even six years on, still quite impressive and, and, and virile, if that's, a, if that's the right word. Uh, but yeah, AppKit is, is sort of a nightmare in a lot of ways. So I wasn't as prepared for that. And uh, as far as a first app, I think a polyglot database client is uh, even, yeah, it, for anybody, pretty, pretty darn ambitious. So um, <laughs> That's something that I, I wish I had more time to work on, but uh, they're more pressing matters. So hopefully I can revisit that project in the near future. But uh, I think the value proposition of that is, is, is still pretty universal, even you know, since I started working on it. It's the idea that you can access data uh, irrespective of what format it's in and what protocol it requires you to communicate over. Uh, so, I mean, I started it off as a Redis client. Uh, because I was really interested in creating a GUI experience for Redis. But, uh, of course, being at Heroku, uh, Postgres is, is the flavor of the month every month. So they uh, encouraged me to you know, open that up to Postgres. And, of course, people ask for MySQL. And uh, it certainly just kind of grows from there to, to Mongo and, and uh, to other data stores like that. But the, the insight that I came to in, in really looking at the problem is that you know, there are things that are databases that we don't think of as databases. I mean, uh, comma-separated value flat files. Those are something that people use uh, probably just as frequently as databases to, to store very important information. Excel files the same way. Um, so 
giving the, this mission to kind of create a universal interface that can open all these things uh, at once and just give you a powerful way to explore, query, and, and visualize that information. That was, that was the central uh, value prop of induction. However, of course, that is incredibly ambitious and as a side project is something that uh, <laughs> I'm only dedicating maybe uh, a fraction of, uh, of every other weekend to. Right. Uh, that's going to be a, uh, kind of difficult. So right now, yeah, taking a back seat, but hope to revisit it sometime. Yeah, it seems massive <laughs> just in scope and everything. Oh, absolutely. But uh, for- fortunately, the, uh, the modules are relatively self-contained. Mm-hmm. So each piece, each plugin, I mean, the engine, and, and for anybody that's aspiring to work on this kind of problem, I, I'm, I'm curious to hear any input on uh, kind of the structure that I set up as far as protocols. So uh, in abstracting the problem out so much that it can accommodate uh, both the database and, uh, for instance, a web API, let's say you have uh, an adapter for Twitter, for a Twitter public stream or, or your own feed, uh, that it can accommodate all these cases, uh, you kind of have to speak in kind of broad terms. Uh, so... The interface, the, the set of protocols that I defined uh, that's shared by all these different modules uh, is interesting. Maybe worth a look if anybody's interested in that. So, Matt, uh, AF Networking 2 was released last week, I believe, two weeks ago? Sure, yeah. Actually, <laughs> totally lost track of time. Uh, recently, yes. Recently, released, yeah. Let's, let's call it that. At least recently. I was wondering if you could go into some, some detail about AF Networking 2 and what specifically it adds uh, over just you using NSURL session, which is new in iOS 7. And maybe just give us the, give us the quick pitch, and then we'll dive in from there. Absolutely. Well, the, uh, I'll start with a, a kind of a short story first. So uh, kind of rewind back to WWDC. Uh, you know, I'm sitting in that what's new in, in foundation networking session, uh, session 705. Uh, and, and this is, as an API author, uh, kind of a make-or-break moment, right? There, every year... Uh, I think a lot of open source developers uh, and application developers as well kind of go to uh, WWDC with an expectation, maybe a dread, that at some point Apple's going to make something that uh, totally obviates what they've spent their time creating, right? The uh, the effect of being Sherlocked. Uh, I've had that happen uh, on, a, on a couple of projects, thankfully, uh, you know, with their addition of like NS attributed string to uh, their, their label class, uh, which... Made my uh, made a project that I made uh, totally unnecessary. Like that, that's that's great when that happens. But with AF networking, uh, you know, that's that's sort of a, a project that's close to my heart. So I wanted to, you know, I came in dreading that that maybe uh, there wouldn't be a need for that anymore. And, and again, that would be great if if the standard library could accommodate those cases better than uh, you know a third party library could. Uh, but of course, uh, what we what, what I found was that. NSURL session, the, the new additions to the networking uh, infrastructure in iOS 7 and macOS 10 Mavericks, uh, is a refactoring and an upgrade of, of NSURL connection. But there's still a lot of opportunity to wrap uh, some high-level abstractions on top of that in the way that AF Networking does or did current, uh, previously with, uh, with its 1.0 release. Uh, so the high-level pitch is that it's the same value proposition of AF Networking. It's that it's a high-level uh, abstraction on top of the solid uh, uh, networking infrastructure that Foundation provides, uh, but geared for application developers. So instead of talking about HTTP uh, as as sort of the top-level thing, AF networking goes to uh, the extent of talking about resources and talking about data types and and 
the transfer of information between your application and a server. Uh, so that's that's sort of the high level overview of AF networking too, uh, and I'm happy to say that it accomplished uh, you know all those goals, and I think it's even better than ever. That's great. So, d- did you start on this right after WWDC? <laughs> Pretty much the uh, within an hour of of watching that session, I just sort of uh, dived in. I, I dove into uh, the API docs. Uh, look, I mean, they didn't have any documentation at the time, uh, so I was basically working from what I just. You know, the frantic notes that I took during the session and then any of the API diffs uh, kind of crawling around the headers uh, looking for some clues on how everything fit together. Actually, within you know about two hours of, of doing that, I had maybe the first prototype of what AF Networking 2 uh, was going to be based on NSURL session. Uh, but of course, that process... Uh, you know, Three months later, that was a lot of refinement to understand how exactly uh, to reconcile NSURL session and NSURL connection because remember NSURL connection isn't deprecated yet. It's it's something that's sort of a doomed API, uh, but it's still in use and it still has its value. So how to how to reconcile uh, a, a lot of different things. So the technical uh, merits of this new technology, how to best transition this open source project to the, the new version, how, you know, how to take care of developers who are already developing an AF networking one uh, to make that experience uh, good and, and not suck. So uh, there are a lot of concerns there aside from, you know, technically getting it to work. Uh, so, you know, again, that, that was sort of a, a long process, but it started, yeah, immediately after uh, that session. It, it looks like a very impressive feat, considering you had about 100 days since WWDC to put this together, you and your contributors, of course. <laughs> well, yeah, of course, I had a lot of help there. And, and again, a shout out to all those contributors uh, who really, you know, without them, it, it wouldn't be possible. This, this whole project uh, has been an amazing opportunity to collaborate with people, uh, over 130 people around the world. And as I you know, have the opportunity to travel and, and meet some of these people, uh, it's really reminds me of the strength of the open source community. Uh, it's something that Objective-C didn't have uh, really until quite recently. Uh, so it's, it's been an amazing experience uh, overall. I believe during WW you referred to the, the, this as the third wave of Objective-C. Yeah, yeah, that's the, uh, that's the phrase I, I coined. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm not exactly sure if it means anything or if it's a useful distinction, but I sort of uh, divided up the, the history of Objective-C development into three different phases. You have the old next step days uh, where Objective-C was being repurposed uh, for and adapted into, you know, what would eventually become OS X. And then you have the the second wave, the second phase, which was uh, Mac OS X development. And and that's been where we were until maybe in the last couple of years uh, where you have community projects, uh, especially I want to give a shout out to CocoaPods, uh, which I think really makes all of this possible, that we have uh, a packaging solution that allows developers to collaborate uh, pretty much without without any friction, that you can drop in dependencies and you can upgrade them and you can manage dependencies that have their own dependencies. So it, it becomes an ecosystem. You can do that easily with CocoaPods. And I think the tooling in that, uh, and a lot of this coming over from the Ruby community, I think in large part, uh, Rails developers uh, took an interest to iOS just as a, a you know happenstance of history, and as a result, we've we've been blessed with some of the the best uh, you know side effects, the the best uh, bits of the Ruby community being instilled 
in the Objective C community, mainly tooling, uh, this sort of pragmatic drive towards better solutions to things, and uh, a lack of fear in, in getting our hands dirty. At least that's what I attribute to uh, the Ruby community. So, yeah, I completely agree. It's been great. I've never seen so much op- open source code in Objective C. Uh, pre- previously, or, or you mean currently? Currently, yeah. Like all thanks. Bef- to all yeah. Before Cocoa Pods. Cocoa Pods. Oh yeah, before Cocoa Pods, it was maybe, you know. There was a JSON library here and there. There was uh, something that uh, was just waiting around on, on a blog post somewhere created by a large company like, uh, or you know, an established company like Omni. Uh, but yeah, you didn't have these individual contributions. And now we have, I, I've lost track. There are probably over 1,500 CocoaPods at this point, which is uh, just astounding. Yeah, it's actually, it's almost like a like a bit of a smell for me now if I'm looking at an open source project and the... Readme has like this long installation thing where it's like drag these files into your into your project or copy this project over, add this submodule. Blah, blah, blah. Right, deeply suspicious of uh, people that aren't using that. Right, I just don't want to deal with that at this point. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Podspec or bust. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping we could talk about the uh, the architecture of AF networking too in more detail, and specifically the modularity. So previously there was a fairly large uh, chain of inheritance to get down to something like AFJSON request operation, but in, you've completely refactored AF networking to, could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So the original architecture of AF networking uh, is as follows. So at the bottom of everything, the heart and soul of AF networking came down to AF URL connection operation. Uh, and the design of that class and the value proposition of that class is, is fundamental uh, to AF networking. So it's NSURL connection. It's the, that's, that's the, or what used to be the highest level of abstraction for, for networking in foundation. Uh, and it was a class that implemented the NSURL connection delegate methods. Uh, and also doing so as a subclass of NS operation, which gave you a lot of uh, great side effects. So it gave you cancelability. It gave you scheduling. It gave you the ability to monitor state. And then because it was its own object, that it represented a request from start to finish and, and tracking that state and any uh, data that's accumulated over that, the object itself, the operation, becomes a container, a vessel for uh, all of the metadata associated with that and all of the data that's returned from the server. So that was sort of the base class. And of course, NSURL connection is compatible, uh, you know, that handles HTTP requests, but it also handles... Uh, file URLs in FTP, although I don't think I've ever seen it used for FTP. Uh, either way, the level of abstraction or the, you know, the subclass built on top of that AFHTTP request operation uh, was the class that specifically introduced uh, the ideas, uh, the idea of HTTP. Uh, it's really the main part is that there's a distinction between success and failure, that a request can be successful you know, not that not just that the act the request actually happened, but the request was either successful or fa- uh, you know failed based on its status code and its content type. So, if it's a two hundred uh, status code, that's a success. And if it's what you asked for, so you expected JSON and you got JSON back, then yeah, that's a successful operation. So then, the way that I, you know. I took that a step further and said, you know, it's not just getting data back, it's getting fully formed objects back. So JSON, XML, images, property lists. And that's where you have that next level of uh, uh, the hierarchy. 
the AFJSON request operation, for instance. Uh, but of course, that's that's gone in uh, AF Networking 2.0, and there there are a couple reasons for that. Uh, the first of which is one out of out of necessity, and and that's because AF Networking 2 is split between the NS URL connection uh, based functionality and then the newer NSURL session-based functionality. And the split between those two things is, is interesting. So NSURL session, for anybody that's not as well-versed uh, or hasn't checked that out yet, it's, it's different than NSURL connection in a couple of fundamental ways uh, that actually end up being rather advantageous and, and kind of what we want as, as developers, uh, but it's still a bit of an adjustment. So NSURL session, it gives you a per-session configuration. So instead of sharing the global, uh, for instance, URL cache, set of URL protocols, uh, cookie storage, credential storage, that sort of thing, it gives you the ability to say, for this session, I want to you know, do this and that, and, and I have these policies set, and I want to store the cache in this particular way. Uh, and you know, nothing else in the system will, will change that. But NSURL session itself doesn't make... Uh, doesn't actually do the networking uh, itself like NSURL connection did, which means that you configure once and then you, uh, you know, do requests with on that session. And the vessel for uh, doing those requests is NSURL session task. Uh, and there, there's upload, download, and data tasks. Uh, those are the, the three concrete subclasses that uh, represent the fundamental operations that you're going to do over a network in, in your application. So that the, the task model, that, that sort of inversion of responsibility compared to NSURL connection uh, made it impossible uh, to adapt the same pattern uh, as we did with AFURL connection operation. So we couldn't you know, just have a, a common operation subclass and, and kind of swap out implementations. It was much more powerful to kind of uh, pave over the expected behavior uh, cave the pave the cow path, so to speak, of of how you're supposed to uh, use these classes. So to to kind of bring it back, the the reason why there's uh, less insistence, less dependence on subclassing is that uh, that unnecessarily couples functionality uh, between classes. So we have these two independent silos of functionality, and the only way that we're going to be able to share uh, mutual functionality, for instance, validating the response that you got back from the server, parsing that into a useful format and all those other kind of things, those are going to be responsibilities that have to be owned by a separate and new entity. And that's where you get the idea of serializations. Right. So if, I, if I'm understanding this correctly, now in, instead of using a specific operation subclass, we're creating a, a, an explicit serializer, handing it to the AFURL session? Or you you would you would hand it over to yeah so there's a there are a couple ways you can do it the operate uh, AFHG well AF URL connection operation has a response serializer uh, which basically dictates how a response and data from a server uh, is returned and, and processed the same is true of an AF uh, URL session manager which itself uh, manages the requests through tasks. And that response serializer is then used by all the different tasks. Uh, so th- those are the different ways uh, that those are used. And actually, that, that, that provides a, a lot of flexibility in the way that you do things. So it used to be that if you wanted to change, for instance, the JSON reading options, like, for instance, to allow fragments 
uh, incomplete JSON objects to be serialized correctly. Uh, that was going to be a property on the request operation itself. However, with ser serializers, uh, now you have the option to uh, configure details about the process of translating a response and data from the server into something useful. Now you can do that all in one class. Uh, so a really great example of what that allows for uh, is, uh, for instance, there is a core image uh, response serializer, which takes data from, from a service. It's a subclass of uh, the regular image serializer, except you can uh, define an array of core image filters to process it with. So the, the use case there is that, let's say you have image views that, uh, let's say in a table view, and they're loading images uh, from the server uh, using the uh, UIKit uh, extensions and AF networking, you can now specify a, a response serializer, uh, in, in this case the core image serializer, and automatically have filters applied to your images as they're coming in. So if you wanted uh, kind of a fancy film noir effect, you could put in a black and white uh, core image filter as your uh, serializer on that image view. And all of a sudden, your app is is transformed in, in a really cool way, just with you know a single line of code. But to actually to bring it back to a more pragmatic kind of use case, like the the fanciness of the core image thing is is one thing. But uh, actually, as I, I thought more about the problem, what I found is that you know it's not just limited to getting JSON or XML back. I mean, if we take this to its ultimate conclusion, really, what the the problem of networking is solving is getting data. You know, shuttling not just data, but information, and information within a context, within a semantic scope, uh, and that's defined by the domain of your application. So uh, instead of JSON, instead you could, for instance, create serializers that create instances of your own objects, uh, create instances of, of NS-managed object or man NS-managed object subclasses. Uh, so really what we have, what started as a, a point of necessity, a place of necessity that we needed to share this functionality of response validation and serialization between two disparate uh, sort of architectures within AF Networking 2, what we got was something much better, which is the realization that there is a very, I would say even boring, a trivial kind of translation layer, a, a, love, a, love, a layer of business logic that exists in all applications. And by isolating that inside this idea of, of serializers, uh, we're able to create applications that uh, very nicely contain and, and, and you know, modularize that out, that responsibility, all those business concerns that are sort of can otherwise be littered around your application and, and reduce the clarity of what you're actually doing. Now this is a primary construct inside AF networking, and I think it, it's quite powerful. From like me as, as someone using the library, what is, what is it, what's the upgrade path like moving from AF networking one to AF networking two? Sure. There is a migration guide uh, available on the AF Networking repository, uh, and that has a couple of kind of quick hits. This explanation of the, you know, a point-by-point -point explanation of where everything went. For instance, uh, I think the biggest shock for AF Networking 1 users is that AF HTTP client, which was the epicenter of all functionality. And I'd argue uh, it became sort of a god object, uh, something that had too many responsibilities. Uh, that's all gone. It's uh, it, That thing has been blown up. Uh, and now exists uh, with you know corresponding classes both on the NSURL connection and NSURL session sides, and then its uh, composite functionality, its ability to monitor for network reachability, uh, that's now in uh, its own class. And the whole thing about uh, security 
uh, SSL pinning, being able to verify uh, the identity and evaluate the trust of uh, server certificates based on uh, local uh, public keys or bundled public keys and certificates, uh, which which is a great security feature. Uh, that's that's now its own class too. So actually, a lot of functionality in AF networking has been unmoored from the internal private implementation details. Uh, and that allows people to use just that if if that's actually what they want. You got you don't get like download stats or anything from CocoaPods, right? They haven't set that stuff up yet. We've been working on something to track that, but of course, uh, one of the brilliant things about CocoaPods is that it's actually just used. It's bootstrapped its whole infrastructure on top of GitHub. So, unlike for instance Ruby Gems, uh, which is its own service that's that's maintained, uh, you know, as as a web application, all of CocoaPods is just Git. So if you want to add uh, your own CocoaPod to the project, you just, you know, do either do a pull request or a commit uh, to the specs repository. Uh, so that means that, you know, you can use CocoaPods uh, without anything but GitHub and, and everything just works. Uh, the downside to that, of course, is that GitHub isn't providing, uh, it's it's not a reasonable expectation for them to uh, do so, but they, they, there's no way to kind of track download statistics. Uh, that's something that I know, I know Aloy and I were working on uh, but of course, there's there there are many things to do. So, but to answer your que- I guess the question you're getting at, no, I have no idea, uh, yeah, how often it's been downloaded. But a good statistic to check is uh, on the CocoaPods site. You can search, you know, uses AF networking, and I think maybe a hundred libraries uh, kind of use AF networking in some capacity as a dependency. So, you know, if there are fourteen hundred, fifteen hundred uh, libraries out there, uh, CocoaPods, yeah, that represents a pretty significant portion. Yeah. yeah. And then in terms of overall usage, uh, I've kind of predicted that it's it's tens of thousands of apps on, on the order of that uh, in the App Store right now using AF networking, at least. Uh, there's uh, unfortunately, be, well, it's, it's licensed under the MIT license, so there's no need for attribution. You can just use it. So I love open source for that. However, there's the da- one downside to that is that there's no incentive or, uh, you know, legal structure in place to get those download uh, you know any sense of who's using it or for what actually uh, found out recently that af networking uh was being used in certain android applications which is kind of interesting uh between you know people creating applications on top of like xamarin or other uh objective c adaption uh adoption layers uh adapter layers i guess uh it, it was possible to use AF networking inside Android projects. So there are a couple dozen Android apps out there on the on the Play uh, marketplace that using AF networking. Strangely, it, that that was probably the biggest shock. Yeah, that's bizarre. <laughs> Switching gears a little bit, uh, I think most people know that you also do the NS Hipster as well. Yeah, yeah, NS Hipster. It's a weekly journal of the obscure parts of Objective C and Cocoa. Let's see what was what was the first article how why did you start ns hipster of all things why did i start ns hipster well ns index set is that the first thing you did the first so and and this is a tip for anybody that's starting out anything uh whether it's a blog or a podcast um first of all throw away the first thing that you write you know <laughs> d- ditch the first episode uh, i think that's a tip i learned from merlin Mann or somebody um so yeah, there's there's a there's an NSIPS article that never saw the light of day, uh, but then I started with just the first batch of four, and it and it highlighted, you know, it's NS index set, NS cache, 
NS sort descriptor and NS date components, which are maybe the least sexy classes in Foundation, or some of them at least. And, you know, I I saw them as being uniquely well-designed within this context, and I wanted to kind of, I wanted to highlight them uh, in a way and elevate them in a way that they don't normally have the opportunity. Like NS date components, by itself, I mean, it's just a container. The object itself is just a container that you specify basically how many weeks, days, months, you know, units of time in a way that's then passed into a a calendar object. Uh, So you can do date calculations in a a very high level and, of course, calendar specific way uh, and, and something that supports all the different kinds of uh, ways to think about and to organize time uh, across all the different localities. And it's this depth and completeness and, and the forethought, uh, forethought that's put into the design of all these classes by Apple's engineers. Uh, that is something that I think is often overlooked or even worse. It's shunned that people say this NS calendar thing is too difficult to use. Why can't we just do the Ruby thing of uh, date, you know, time dot now plus one dot second. Right. The fact that that's not a one-liner in Objective-C, a lot of people might think is a shortcoming. I say, no, 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 no. If you, if you think that time is something as simple as, you know, how many seconds since, to, since a you know, reference point, then you're, <laughs> you're in for a world of hurt. Right. It's, it's a very complex problem. If you had to pick one of these, or even one that you haven't written, what do you think is your favorite uh, little, like, obscure library or framework sure my favorite article uh is probably the one on nil the the one on the nil null object basically the concept of nothingness in objective c all the articles i I do one on on bull too and i I bring it into these weird philosophical places these conversations of truth and existence and it becomes a you know real head scratcher in some places because these are you know, philosophically very challenging things uh, to think about by themselves outside of a programming concept, but then applying it to something that you have to run on an iPhone, uh, that's, that's a different concern altogether. But in terms of, uh, let's say, the, the most obscure APIs, um, I'm a really big fan of the linguistic APIs. I think that Foundation has the best, by far, the best implementation of, of string and linguistic APIs that exist in any standard library. And probably better than the some some of all third-party libraries for any language. So take any language, add the ecosystem, what people build around it, and it is still nothing compared to what Apple has done uh, with their NS string class and and all of the different uh, string transformations, linguistic tagging, uh, speech synthesis, which is just sort of an, uh, you know a separate concern. But I mean, the amount of information and capacity that that those APIs have is just astonishing and makes it so nice to work with. So, and then you have the, you have the NS hipster book coming out. Do you want to plug that? Sure. Uh, you can buy NS hipster as a book. It's the website that you know and love it. Plus a couple new articles, like over a dozen articles, uh, new essays written about, uh, some more, yeah, some separate uh, kind of concerns about API design, uh, and, how to work within the community. So things that uh, won't be on the website, but I think are important to know uh, as somebody who is passionate about their craft and is developing uh, software today. So the the book's now available. Uh, you can check it out on Gumroad. Uh, I think it's just gumroad.com slash NS Hipster. We'll give you the link. And uh, yeah, I announced that 
uh, with this week's, uh, or I guess when this comes out, last week's article on Monday. And uh, happy to say over 500 pre-sales. It's been uh, remarkable how the community's rallied behind it. And I'm just humbled uh, by how kind and you know generous people are being with it. So, I mean, NSHipster has been a joy to write. It started out as a uh, writing exercise to see if I could actually keep something up week to week. Uh, and it's become... You know, it's 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 great to for it to have become uh, such a valued resource, and that I've been able to help and inform so many people. So it's a gift that you know I, I get to keep writing for this, and you know the book is is kind of a nice extension of that. So thanks to everybody who's uh, pre-ordered, and uh, I'm really excited to get that out to you. It's uh, the street date is November twelfth. Awesome. And so if people want to get in touch with you, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, Twitter's probably the best. Uh, GitHub as well. Either way, I'm uh, Matt M A T T T uh, three T's on both of those services, and uh, I'm usually pretty responsive. So, any questions, concerns, uh, pull requests, anything like that, uh, get in touch. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. Show notes for this episode will be available at learn.thoughtbot.com/slash/buildphase/slash/eleven. If you want to get in touch, uh, we're available via email, buildphase at thoughtbot.com, or on Twitter and app.net, at buildphase. This episode was recorded and edited by Mike Manor and produced by Chad Pytel.